We are very thankful today for the fathers that God places in our lives, but we are also very aware that there's a mixed blessing because none of our fathers, our earthly fathers, can possibly measure up to what we've been celebrating about our Heavenly Father today. Um, and as much as we may try, uh, we are not going to be a perfect father. There is only one, our Father who is in heaven. And when I as a dad live up to his example and his design for the way he's made me to do it, then my children, my family and the community around me are blessed. When I fall short of how he's designed me to be as a father, then there's a price to be paid. And today we'll talk about some of those things that we want to be really thankful for, that we want to spot in our dads and say, when you do that the way God does or the way God designed you to, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. And we want to celebrate and affirm and encourage that. And we want to figure out, well, how do we deal with when it's not always the case? Uh, when we're not experiencing that in the way that we long to. And we'll talk about how we deal with the complexity of life as it is with people as they are today. And we're going to use a passage of scripture to guide us in understanding the blessing that can be ours when we live up to God's good design for fatherhood. So we've called it a field guide for fathers. Um, think about life as a bit of a journey uh, and think about the scripture as your guidebook for how we go about that journey. We're going to dive into a part of those scriptures today to think about how we can tune into the goodness of God's design for fatherhood and, as I mentioned, we'll also talk about what happens when we can't experience that in the way that God wants us to. So let's uh, have a read. And as I always say, um, if you can read it on your own device or in your own hard copy, that's great because you get more and more familiar with it. You can highlight it, you can scribble on it and make notes and all that kind of stuff. But it is also on the screen for you. This is what Ephesians 6 verses 1 to 4 has to say about the parent-child relationship in families. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. We shouldn't have sent the kids out, right? We should have read this first. But actually, did you notice in a letter that was designed to be read out to a church community, um, kids are being addressed. So I love the fact, I was sitting there as we were taking communion earlier and Carolyn next to me was talking about the significance of communion to our kids and I could hear Jamin doing the same with his kids behind me. Family is great, isn't it? And this is such a beautiful thing to, to give children the opportunity to follow in that because their parents are actually giving them the instruction that they need. So children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. We're not going to dive too much into those verses, but basically what they're saying is, hey, kids, when you receive the gift, that verse 4 is, when you take the instruction and training that your parents are offering you and you live that out in your life, you are going to be blessed. It's a wonderful foundation that is being offered to you as your parents do this, Ephesians 6 verse 4. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Many of us dads struggle to remember more than one thing at a time, don't we? Um, that one verse, drill that into your head. Make that your life verse. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You know that saying? You had one job. Dads, this is the job. Bring your kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, Straight away when I look at that, I notice that there's something missing. I wonder if you're noticing what's missing in 6.4 that is present in 6.1-3. Mums. And it's something that in our culture, because we're a very individualistic culture, we read that and see the dads are being addressed here. The mums are being left out. For a first century person who read that verse, they wouldn't be thinking that way. 
Uh, for somebody familiar with God's design for families from Genesis right through to Revelation, you wouldn't be thinking that way. There's a difference between being accountable for something and being responsible for something. And this takes a bit of figuring out. And if you've ever been on a staff team or a sporting team or any kind of group that's trying to accomplish anything in life, you'll be familiar with uh, this, this difference between accountability and responsibility as we think about the team dynamics of parenting. Because parenting is a team sport. And mothers are, in fact, being addressed in chapter 6, verse 4. So because you're accountable for something, as fathers are in uh, Ephesians 6.4, it doesn't mean that you're the person who needs to do it all. It simply means you're the person who will be answerable for it being done. So, for example, uh, I'm part of a staff team. Anyone else who's part of a staff team? You know how that works at your workplace, right? Uh, because you know that, uh, for example, I answer to our elders and board, and if, if we've been entrusted with a project, um, they're not thinking that I have to do it all. They're thinking that we'll come back as a staff team and we'll talk about what's coming up and, and we'll talk about who's best suited to take on what parts of that project. Um, but ultimately, the whole staff doesn't have to come back to an elders meeting and report on that. I do. I'm responsible to make sure that that project, that event, that mission is accomplished because that's my role on the team. I'm accountable for the thing being done. But if I try to do it all myself, what's the quality of our teamwork going to be like? Shoddy. Terrible. What's the outcome going to be like? It's going to be limited to me instead of experiencing the blessing of all the things that God put into all the people who were meant to be working together in that task. So Ephesians 6.4 very much has that feel to it. But because we are kind of individualistic in our mindset, we sometimes read that and go, now fathers do this. So we need to just stop and pause and just be logical for a moment and think, well, what's being talked about in, in chapter 6, 1 to 3? It's talking about children obey your, not your dad, you include that, no, don't neglect that, obey your parents. All right? So this is something that you want to do for both parents. Therefore, you're receiving instruction and training from both parents. But yet there's an accountability here for the father to make sure that it's happening. Um, teachers, take note of this. I hate group work, all right? When my kids come home and tell me they've got a group assignment, straight away I shudder. You know why? Because the next thing I'm going to hear is, oh, so-and-so forgot to bring the PowerPoint and that person just won't listen and they're off playing games on their iPad while we're trying to do it. Group work is a nightmare. Teachers, take note of this. Group work is amazing. Have you ever noticed that when you set it up well so that there's clarity about how the team's supposed to be working, so that there's accountability in who was meant to do what part, and there's follow-through on that, then you're bringing out the best of each of those kids. They're helping each other. They're learning from each other's strengths. Uh, they're they're um, mitigating, sorry about that long word, uh, each other's weaknesses. You know, and you're helping them to be so much more together than they, than they can be on their own. So as much as I tend to grimace whenever I hear about group work, so, oh no, how's this going to go? When it works well, teamwork is awesome. You've seen it in sporting teams. You see it in family. So when we read Ephesians 6.4, it's really important for us to have that in our minds. This is a teamwork dynamic. This is a job that is being entrusted to a bunch of people, primarily... Uh, a husband and a wife, but family is complicated. It doesn't look the same in every scenario. And we'll talk more about that in a while. And neither is it meant to always be limited to um, the husband and wife or a father and mother in a situation because, you know that old saying, it takes a village to raise a child? It's true. 
There are other people, there are grandparents, there are neighbours, there are Sunday school teachers, there are youth group leaders, there's that person in church who just you know, takes an interest in your kid and asks them how they're going. There's a whole team around who are doing what Ephesians 6.4 says, bringing kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord. But you cannot escape this thing, dads. The A for accountability is given to you. You're given a task, you don't neglect this, you're accountable to make sure that it's happening. So thinking about my own situation as a parent, Carolyn and I have very different parenting strengths. Um, and like I said about you know, how it works in schools, that can make things really challenging and it can make things an amazing blessing. So for, just to give you a couple of examples, Carolyn is great at finding and using really excellent resources, whether they are children's Bibles or um, uh, Christian books or whether they're storybooks or whether they're um, songs that teach amazing truths. Uh, how many people you know, know half their Bible because of Colin Buchanan, for example? So, so Carolyn's great at sourcing and using that kind of stuff to be a great blessing to our kids at each stage of their development, knowing what's coming up ahead, what those developmental issues are going to be and how can we resource that. She's got a real strength at doing that. I'm, I'm not that well organised in my mind and in my awareness, but I am pretty good at... I won't say winging it, because that will encourage about it. But you know, in the moment, just, oh, that Bible passage applies to this really well. So I'm okay at just as, as you're going through the messiness of life, spotting a scripture and saying, that applies right now in this moment. Let's talk about that. That doesn't mean I'm not interested in collecting resources, and that doesn't mean that Carolyn's not interested in just applying the Bible in an ad hoc kind of basis. But in terms of our relative strengths, she's brilliant at that, far more so than me, and I tend to shine in that. Together... That works really well for helping the Bible to be a part of our family's life. Really thankful for both of those strengths. Um, and I can learn to be better resourced as I see how Carolyn does that. And hopefully Carolyn sees some ways that you can just apply the Bible in the moment as she sees the way that I do that. We improve one another, but we also complement one another in the roles that we play. Now let me tell you about a situation where it gets a little bit stickier. Because that one's an obvious, hey, that works, that's brilliant, well done. Uh, Carolyn is brilliant at nurture, at empathy, at gen you know where I'm going already, don't you? I can see some people saying, oh, I can see the contrast here. Gentleness, remembering the minutiae of what's going on in our kids' lives, but not just our kids' lives. You go to school and she'll remember what's happening for all of these parents and what's happening for their children and what's going on in the classroom. And it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't retain that stuff. I'm not tuned into that in the same way. But when Carolyn prompts me to be aware of what might be going on emotionally for the kids or some things that are going on in the classroom at the moment, then that equips me to respond better than me just blazing through and doing what seemed uh, appropriate to me in the time. So I really benefit from Carolyn's strength in that. Now, where my strengths shine are empowering the kids. So you can do it. Off you go. Boom. Let's do it. Um, we'll, we'll chat later, probably. Um, so I, I'm that kind of send them out into the world, release them. Now, that doesn't always complement well with let's really understand what's going on, let's prepare them well, let's talk to the teacher and make sure there's good communication. That, that, those don't mesh naturally together. Can you see how that can kind of cause a little bit of friction? So when Carolyn finds out that I've dropped uh, Shiloh off on my way to work, and I'm like, see you later, you'll be right crossing the road, we've done this a million times, yeah, and off I go, she might see that empowerment as more like irresponsibility. 
um, which I struggle with. I mean, <laughs> so, so the, and that's just one example. But there's all these potential clashes that arise because we see things differently, that we're wired differently. Sometimes they are legitimate strengths and weaknesses, and sometimes they are just different strengths. Um, and figuring that out in team can be challenging. And there are times where Carol and I, as we've clashed over that, we've probably made each other feel defensive or unappreciated or like we're not doing well enough because I'm only thinking about this is why, what I think is right in this situation and I'm not being receptive to the team that God has actually assembled to parent well. So uh, as we think about this uh, Ephesians 6.4 and this accountability that is being given to fathers to make sure that your teamwork is flourishing, that together you are doing your job well, it's important to take the time to actually consider that and say, well, okay, well, I know what my part is and I know what I feel like I should be doing and whether I think I'm doing a good job or not, but it's actually bigger than just me. How well am I working with the wife that God's given me? How well are we including the church family God's put around us and the extended family who build into us? How is all that happening so that we are all growing and we're all engaged in this incredibly important mission of raising up children in the training and instruction of the Lord. So that's enough from me. I want you to have a bit of a think and a bit of a chat. I want you to think about this first bit. When have you seen good teamwork in parenting? Because we're all in very different situations and it looks different for all of us right now. Um, and there is no such thing as the ideal. Like We have the pattern that God's given us, which is perfect, and we all are aiming for that. None of us are hitting it. Some might look like we're hitting it better than others, but none of us are actually getting this all right. So let's not worry about a comparison in terms of what it's looking like for you, but where are you seeing good teamwork in parenting? Maybe in what you're experiencing right now as husband and wife. Maybe it's in another context. Maybe it's what you're seeing in others. It's maybe it's what you've received from your parents. Maybe it's how you're navigating the messiness of what your relationships look like. Where is good teamwork happening? But I don't want you to talk about that. I just want you to think about it so you're ready to talk about this. What are some behaviours that help good teamwork happen? And if you're really awesome, talk about the attitudes that drive those behaviours. So, for example, when you see a husband and wife submitting to one another, it doesn't all have to be his way, it doesn't all have to be her way, but they're able to work that stuff out as they parent to bring the best out of each other, that mutual submission that has just been talked about in Ephesians chapter 5, when you see that happening, that leads to great teamwork. What's that require? Well, it requires some humility, doesn't it? And my way is not always the best way. I don't see everything that, that is good to know in this situation. So humility matters there. You might be able to think of some other things that help great teamwork happen. What are the behaviours? What do we actually do? But what are the attitudes that contribute to that? So be brave, clump up, let's say threes or fours, um, because your experience is actually really valuable for each other. Okay, so when, what do you see good teamwork looking like? Uh, what are some of the things that have helped that happen? All right, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. Let's roll. All righty. Now, I hate cutting things short, and I say that a lot, don't I? Um, but in the group I was just in, there was some, just some parenting gold and some teamwork gold that came out there. So I'm sure that in, in your conversations you got a taste. But what I'd like to say to you guys is, um, what we do in here is a teaser, but you get to do it out there for as long as you feel like. So keep those convos going about what, what's making teamwork work really well? What are the behaviours that I can incorporate into my life, into my family, that will be a blessing to us? So that's, that's really Ephesians 4 as we stop and think about that. There we go. Uh, 
what does that actually mean? So we've discovered it is a team sport. Uh, we, we need to be thinking about good teamwork with our, our parents who are working together, whatever that might look like, and with the community around them. How do, how do we actually leverage everybody's skills and gifts and experiences and perspectives and personalities and all that stuff, the way God shaped people to be involved in this task together? So um, fathers, if that's something that speaks to you today, okay, I need to go home and focus on this. How am I encouraging good teamwork? Because I'm accountable to how this happens. But, but what is the task? You know, if, if we're going to work together as a team, we've got to be clear, what are we actually trying to do here and what are we trying not to do? And Ephesians 4 is fantastic, uh, 6.4, because it gives us that in a really succinct way. Uh, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. So again, this is for the whole team. Right? As we work together, as fathers, you're accountable for this. Don't stir up anger in your children. Well, how do we do that to kids? Um, well, we could have some ideas. Raise your hand. If, you know, and if your parents here, then they'll be getting the hint. But um, things like hypocrisy. You know, when you say one thing as a parent but do another thing, that drives kids nuts. Inconsistency, where sometimes you say this is important but other times you don't. You know, is it okay to lie? No, never, but in this situation, you ah. um, So making sure that you are consistent in what you say and do and uh, teach about what God's Word actually says about how to live. Not only are you being consistent, but as a team, you know, mums and dads, uh, grandparents, others who are on the same page, We've got to take the time. Are we on the same page here? Are we being consistent for our kids? Or are they bouncing from one person to the next and they're all over the place? That really is important. Setting the bar so high that our kids feel like they're never good enough, that drives them nuts. Setting the bar so low that they feel like they're not expected of you know, anything of them, uh, that drives them nuts as well. And we could go on and on and on, but really what we're meant to see when it says don't stir up anger in your children is that next word, but. Because... The things that don't fit with this next bit, that's what will lead to resentment. That's what leads to frustration. That will lead to the opposite of the blessing that was talked about in the first three verses. So what's the next bit telling us to do? That's what we've got to focus on because otherwise we're going to end up frustrating our children. So what are we meant to be focusing on? We're meant to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What does that look like? What does that even mean? Does that mean um, daily devotions? Does that mean um, prayer times uh, before, before bed each night? You know, does it mean you know, never missing Sunday school or youth group or church? You know, what, what does it mean to bring your kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord? So many great examples of what it looks like and what it doesn't look like in the Bible. Um, here's a great little summary out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, if you're not familiar with what's going on in Deuteronomy 6, um, the people are getting ready to go into the promised land. Moses is just getting started in saying, guys, as we come into this land that God's given us, this is how he wants us to live. And he pauses, having just started um, telling people what's really important about how they're going to live, and says, now, guys, parents, repeat these things I'm talking to you about to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Uh, so all of these instructions that God is giving to us as a nation, parents, make sure you communicate those to your kids and do it 24-7. This is not something you take time out just on Sabbath to do. This is not something that you go to a special class for or that you say to the rabbi, hey, that's your job. No, this is what we do, parents, 24-7. As you're sitting in your house, as you're walking along the road, as you lie down and as you get up. And the next verse, it talks about surround yourself with reminders. And in that culture, that looked different to what it might look like today. Today, it might look like Bibles on shelves and posters on walls and, and all those sorts of things that remind you of who you are and what you're about. Uh, that's how you can bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. But it's impractical and no one can do it. 
At least that's how many parents are feeling. Because if you think about what that actually looks like, for example, you know, I coached a game of basketball yesterday. Um, what is it like to then apply the training and instruction of the Lord to how uh, I might be feeling and Si might be feeling about the refereeing or about how the teammates... Uh, you're going to need to apply some scripture in that situation. Or what about uh, when somebody's struggling because they've been slandered or disrespected? Maybe the, the, the group of kids at school have cut them out and saying rude things about them. How do you apply the Bible in that moment and say, well, this is how Jesus dealt with that. And this is the example he sets for us. And this is how we can find the strength to do that. What is it like when you hear your child criticising or belittling somebody, thinking that they know better than the teacher or their friend or whoever? Um, how do you bring them to, whether it's Philippians 2 or 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, and, help and correct that childish arrogance and say, hey, um, actually there may be something that you need to hear that you're not seeing yourself. And maybe the, the way God's designed them is actually really important and we shouldn't put them down for that. Maybe there's some correction that happens there. But on the flip side, maybe there's some amazing affirmation and encouragement. When you see your child humbly serving and encouraging and doing the things that the Bible talks about, you say, hey, did you see what you just did? Read this in Philippians 2. Read this in 1 Corinthians 12. Read this in Romans 12. You were just doing what Jesus says we ought to do. Well done. And so it's, it's the both sides of paying attention to our children's lives, encouraging, affirming all those good things that they're already doing and correcting where they need it as well. It's the being thoughtful about, okay, now I just conducted myself like that, and again for me as a coach on Saturday, I just behaved in that way. Now do I need to debrief that with my kid and say, you know what, this is why I did that, or whoops, this is why I shouldn't have done that. That's all part of bringing your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. One of the most important things we train our children is, in is confession because none of us are getting it right. So that chance to say, you know what, I'm sorry about that. I set a bad example for you there or I squashed you there. Or you know what, I encouraged something in you there that the Bible doesn't encourage. I'm sorry for that. And so to be able to confess to our children, those are all aspects of bringing our children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Are you feeling like you don't have time for that? Because no matter where I go, as I'm talking to parents, you know what I hear? Busyness. We're so mentally cluttered. And the last thing I want to do is stand up here and make you feel guilty for that. Um, because that's a problem we need to solve, not a guilt trip we need to go on. Uh, I was at um, netball watching Emmy just recently and, and we were talking as a group of parents about how many sports our kids are involved in and just the logistics of the transport from here to there and how that was all going to work out. And for some of them that was a big stress. Uh, I've talked to some parents about the extra tutoring and the study load that their kids are going through and feeling like, man, we've got to be so careful that we allow enough time and, and make sure that we get them ahead academically. I've talked to parents about the hours their kids are working and um, what that means for the family is they reorganise their schedule around their kids' uh, employment. Um, and all of those things are brilliant. How much can your child learn through sport? How much can they uh, learn through their study and education? How much can they grow through employment? All of those things are fantastic. The problem is parents are struggling with balance. It's the sense of we feel like we're so busy trying to do all of this stuff that we're not actually doing it as well as we want to and we're feeling burdened by that. And there's a huge anti-cultural, transcultural, whatever the right word is, I can't think of it, somebody will tell me. It goes against culture to think this way but it's what we all kind of know is true deep down. 
Freedom is not having lots of choices. You know, how many sports can I play and how many um, extra tutoring sessions can I have and how many hours can I work and all that kind of stuff. Freedom is not in having lots of choices. Society tells you that it is. Um, even in how you want to conduct your relationships, the more choice the better. That's not freedom, that's bondage. And a lot of people are figuring that out through experience. Freedom, according to the Bible, is making the right choices. Uh, like, like in the New Testament it says, when we look into God's perfect law, that brings freedom. And our society goes, no, no, you mean having to do this and not being allowed to do that is freedom? That's not freedom, that's bondage. But the Bible says, no, no, you, you, you don't get it. You're actually being free to flourish then. Free to be who God's made you to be. Free to taste the goodness of his ways. And you're freeing yourself from all of those other things that, that, you know, the pattern of this world that Romans 12 talks about that are actually weighing you down. So dads, there's every chance that your ability to help your children experience the training and instruction of the Lord that Ephesians 6.4 talks about, it might be being limited by the fact you're allowing too many things to be chosen in the way that your family's working. That's just the pattern of this world that we've got to kind of acknowledge. And it's hard to go against that because everybody's doing it. But you might need to encourage your family, the team that you're accountable for, to make some strong choices. So we might need to do a bit less so that we can do it better. We might need to do a bit less so that we can reflect biblically and grow through it all rather than just surviving it all, hoping that somehow on the other end there's going to be good outcomes. That's a real challenge for us culturally. But if we are uh, courageous enough to take that on, I think there's a huge blessing in store for us. According to the Bible, the accountability rests with you guys. All right, that's a serious thing, Dad. T take it seriously. And that could be a great discussion for you to have at home today. Let me close by saying this, though. Dads, being, being accountable for that, I'd really encourage you to get together with other guys who are wrestling with that as well and trying to figure out what that looks like in a society which is very individualistic and doesn't get the teamwork stuff, in a society that is loaded down with too many choices and doesn't get the importance of being able to bring up in the training and instruction of the Lord to do life better, um, get together with other guys and talk about it and pray for each other. You can learn so much from each other. Get together with guys who are older and guys who are younger. Um, speak about that. Ladies, you too. Um, there's so much you can gain from one another. Uh, I meet with a group of guys once a fortnight. Huge blessing. Love them. Um, they help me so much and I hope I do the same for them. We need that, guys. So I'd encourage you to, to pursue that and if, if you want some help in knowing how to, come talk to me. I'll link you up. We've got at least three groups that I know of, of guys getting together regularly to do this kind of stuff. Grandparents, I want to give a final challenge to you. Um, I want to empower you to do that with your children. It's hard sometimes to, to know the fine line between helping and hurting. And a lot of you are wrestling with that. It's not always easy to know where the line is between helping out as we should as extended family, being there, resourcing, supporting, practically helping. We ought to be doing that. But you've probably felt that little quiet voice inside that says, I might be doing too much of this. I might be actually empowering them to, to, do, to fill their life with too much stuff and it's not going to be good for them in the long haul. That takes a lot of courage to deal with, to have those conversations. So get together with each other. I've had conversations with some of our grandparents and, man, the wisdom that they've shown in figuring that out has been amazing. Um, I haven't had to walk that path yet. Get together with the other people who are wrestling with it. Open your Bibles, see what God says to you, pray for each other. It matters that you do this because we want our children to be free. 
Not to live lives of frustration as they follow the pattern of the world, but to learn how to live lives based on the training and instruction of the Lord. Because as verses 1 to 3 said, when they take that on, when they follow it, when they apply it in their lives, they enjoy blessed life on this earth. And that's what we want for them, both for this life and the life to come. Let's pray.